Hello, and welcome to the first episode of FraxCast. I'm Sam. I'm the producer for Flywheel. And you may not have heard me yet, but I've been working hard on getting all the content that uh, we produce here at Flywheel out and looking great to you. I'm actually joining this episode to help out Dave and Kent. And what we're going to be doing here is going to be taking a look at institutional content that's being written and put on Substack. We're going to go back and review it. So over the next hour, we're going to look at a piece that was produced by Bobby J. Schilla. And this is going to be an ongoing series. So I hope you all like it. And let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Flywheel. I'm your host, Defi Dave. I'm here with Capital K, as well as our wonderful, one-of-a-kind producer, Sam McCullough. I don't know if I messed up your name or not. But like, which, <laughs> sorry. But how do I pronounce your last name? So it's like Scottish, but it's, you know, like in Scotland, they do like a loch. It's like McCulloch, but yeah, McCulloch's fine. Okay. It's like, like a guttural sound that we don't have in, in American English. Sam McCullough. I'm just yeah. going to do that. That that works, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, this week, uh, I mean, this episode, we're trying something a little bit new. Uh, we are actually going to break down uh, Flywheel's resident author, Bobby J. Schiller's uh, institutional pieces. Um, and the reason why we're doing this is we actually, you know, we want to think of ways to produce more content within the Vrax ecosystem. We want to increase our output at Flywheel. Um, and we think this is a good way to start. Uh, and I'm really excited for this, especially like, you know, knowing Bobby and like knowing like what his goals are in future posts. I think this first post, uh, creating a framework to evaluate automated stablecoins is a great place to start. Um, what, how are you guys feeling about this? I thought it was a really nice article and I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Mm. Yeah. What do you guys think of the, the new co- flywheel expanding and contact content from the interviews to, uh, you know, breaking down pieces within the Frax ecosystem? I think it's really necessary. I mean, part of the reason that we wanted to have this is that the, you know, we're producing some great institutional content and, uh, you know, not everybody that writes this stuff wants to come on and, and break it down so we can get in there and, and do it for them. So. Uh, it's really nice to have some some other contributors to Flywheel. Right, we have a, a big pool that's here now, and I'm really excited to see what they're going to be producing over the next few months. Mm. I, I like the different format, the content type, right? We have the audio one, and now we have some written stuff. So I think we're really appealing to, you know, all the audience out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, the medium is the message. And you can tell, you know, the, the way that, you know, these articles are written, they're very dense and they're very deep and they're meant to be digested over, I think, and thought about over a long period of time. Meanwhile, with the podcast, I think they're like really easy to get like a taste of everything. And I know like when I listen to podcasts, like I don't absorb everything at once. Sometimes it takes me like a few different listens to like absorb stuff, but like sometimes you just get clips in your head. But with, uh, I feel like with institutional writing like this, like you're really building a case while with podcasts, it's really just an introduction to something. And so, uh, without further ado, um, let's get into it. Um, so, you know, in his introduction, uh, Bobby kind of sets the stage here, uh, with the U S dollar saying how in 1971, the dollar was on the gold standard. It was redeemable in, with some equivalent in gold. Uh, and then there was this transition once, you know, Nixon was like, all right, screw the gold standard. We're going off of it. And went from being a hard backing to a soft backing. And I kind of view the reason, you know, 
behind this is like, I think the economy just got too big and was growing too fast um, to be like held down and anchored by like some rock in the ground. Like that just wasn't going to cut it anymore. And so it just made a lot more sense to uh, peg it to, I guess, as Bobby puts it, like the cash flows of a given economy. Um, and that really like set the stage for, um, you know, for better or for worse, the world that we live in today. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think the, if you look at the gold standard, like one of the bigger reasons is that because the disparities between the two um, currencies or just any currencies, right? Uh, as the global reserve currency, it's it's always going to be the kind of the gold standard, like everybody said. But uh, in these in these non-U.S. Uh, currencies that would exist, uh, they could deflate their they could deflate their currencies and then swap it for dollars and then essentially swap it for gold, uh, which put extreme pressure on the dollar itself, uh, and essentially drove Nixon to to move off the backing. So I mean, it was the right thing to do uh, at the time, since everybody else was moving to a soft backing as well too. Um, and you know, it's worked out just fine for us. Yeah, I agree. And then, uh, I think the, except until recently when we do the <laughs> infinite mint bug, right? <laughs> yeah. the infinite mint bug for the fiat currency, uh, that we obviously can't do in, in crypto. So, um, let's, let's dive in a bit deeper into how Bobby kind of lays down like the different collateralization type and, um, things like that. Yeah. And I think, uh, before we get into that, I think the most important concept when it comes to money is faith, like money, ultimately, like, I guess like the layer zero of money is just having faith in, in it. And actually I know it's like having faith in it and knowing that like, okay, this will be worth something. I know I'll be able to go and exchange for goods or for services. I know that I will be able to save in this. Like that faith is just like, so foundational. Like it's, it's pretty much religious in a sense. It's basically like like in, in a sense, like almost, you know, that, that I, that's why I kind of view just like, and how people view money as God. It's just because like that well, people's like lives just like run on it. And so just like faith is like the layer zero of money. That's what I'm trying to say. I think that's fair, but I just don't feel like, should that tr translate over to crypto though? Where yeah. I oh, absolutely. Yeah. But go, go ahead. Okay. Cause I, I, I think maybe. You don't need to rely so much on quote faith or, or too much on faith because you can kind of check the chain and kind of see all the assets backing and sure, you need to be a bit more sophisticated in order to smooth out the contracts and pull out all the values and such. But I think it really minimizes faith as much as it can. Let me, uh, yeah, let me like roll it back by faith. I don't mean like, oh, let's have like everything being unbacked. Like, no, not at all. I'm just saying more like. The U.S. dollar as it is now, like, you know, it's or like just like currency in general um, is backed by faith. And like there's different ways you can like earn that faith, like with cryptocurrencies, uh, especially stable coins, it's collateral, like whether it's right. like being fully collateralized or over collateralized or to an extent, you know, under collateralized, but like collateral or fully collateralized in other ways, as Bobby would put it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Sam, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really the ability of the government to pay back their, their debt. Right. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of at the base layer and really you're, you're talking about the, if you look at, if you look at the, how the dollar system works, right. It's, it's, it's all credit, right. For pretty much all credit with some, mm -hmm. um, hard assets that back it up. 
And so when you're, when you're looking at these like dollar reserves or versus what's happening on crypto, you know, in, in the, I guess, TradFi system, uh, most everything's done on, on faith, right? It's the ability of people to issue debt against uh, the collateral that they have uh, or that they don't have, but with the expected cash flows that are uh, predicted to come into the future to pay back that debt. Um, and you know, it's, it's a bit more difficult in crypto because we, we don't have the ability to have any sort of like under collateralization without, um, in, in like a trustless manner, uh, that every, every asset or every piece of collateral that you have in, in crypto, if you're going to issue a loan against it, uh, typically if you want to get paid back, you, you always have to be either over collateralized or, or fully collateralized. Uh, and so I think this is one of the things that he's getting into this article is that Frax was the first system to come along and and really make a, a partially collateralized, but fully backed, but partially collateralized dollar, which th in theory only should be able to exist in a, in a TradFi system because like trustlessness and under collateralization don't really go hand in hand. Yeah, they don't. It's kind of a paradox, but, um, I, nothing is, I feel like with Bobby, like nothing's ever truly under collateralized. It's always like backed by something like whether it's, um, uh, like hard assets or cash flow, like, and that's what Bobby will right. get into. And so to get into the next sec sec section, enter stable coins. And, you know, as we know, um, or for viewers that are not familiar with how, um, you know, stable coins have evolved in crypto, um, you know, the first one was uh tether, uh, back in 2014, uh, which was an omni chain, <laughs> which is like funny, funny to think about, like issued on like, like counterparty Bitcoin and stuff. But uh, the idea behind Tether is basically there's cash in a bank or cash equivalents in a bank. And then, you know, equivalent of that is like on chain and you can exchange it like one to one. Um, and, um, you know, these and that, you know, it's kind of funny seeing um, uh, like where stable coins, you know, are like are populated the most. Like Tether is like the stable coin for centralized exchanges. USDC has become the stable coin for DeFi. Um, and also like regionally, you see it split up as well. Tether is a stable coin for, you know, outside the U.S., especially in Asia. Well, USDC is mostly U.S. based, especially with the way Circle is based in the U.S. Um, but yeah, like central, I think, you know, with, I like to call it stable coins um, kind of just actually no. What do you guys think of, of like centralized stable coins so far? I, I think they've, I think they've come to fit a purpose that was driven by the market, right? If you look at Tether, the, what it was specifically trying to do was was facilitate dollar access to mostly mostly Asia, mostly you know Chinese and and Asian uh, uh, crypto holders who wanted to have uh, some sort of uh, stable asset that they can move into or borrow and then leverage with uh, for the trading. And because of their lack of access to say uh, dollar based accounts or dollar based uh, banks, it, it made it was easier for them to go out and scoop up tether. And just stay in that rather than than have to deal with the American banking system and the regulations that that go along with that. The same thing, same thing for USD. I mean, USDC is the opposite, where like USDC is this like onshore dollar, where it's you know we can see all the reserves. I mean, they USDC just published the um, like their reserves today uh, with all the I think it's USIP numbers. Uh, USDC bull is probably going to be. Retweeted, <laughs> retweeted about it heavily today. Big blue coin. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so like I, I, if you look at it, it kind of kind of goes hand in hand with how our current dollar system is made up, where we have all this domestic, as many different types of dollars. We have domestic dollars. There's like offshore dollars, uh, and the USDC and USDT kind of fit in those those same sort of, of modes. It's just they're they're tokens instead of uh, loans or something that you would take from a, a bank. I think there's they serve an absolute need need in that. You don't want to hold volatile assets all the time. And now you have another option, right? Back then you kind of didn't either hold Bitcoin or you sold for cash on the central exchange and then that's it. So I, I think this had offered another avenue for people to park their wealth and not exit crypto fully so that bear markets are kind of easier to uh, handle. And if anything, the clearest sign of adoption, if you just look at the stable coin market cap of USDC, that thing was like, up and to the right <laughs> until only recently that it kind of went down a little bit, but that yeah. clear sign of adoption. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think like the more trans everyday transactions, transactions that happen, not just in USDC, but in all stable coins are like huge signs of adoption. Like I can't wait for the day that I can pay my bills in stable coins, especially Brax. Like I, I love that. <laughs> and, um, and that, I think that will come eventually. It's just like, the infrastructure and the rails need to, de need to develop for that. But, you know, I think just the frictionless of dealing with the chain, um, like once you're, it's hard to get on chain, but once you're on chain, like it, it's amazing how much faster it is and, and less friction there is than the traditional banking system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, once you start to use it, it just makes a lot more sense. Like, oh, I want to send, you know, 500 bucks to Dave who's in Portugal right now. And like. I don't need to do a bank transfer. Okay, I'll just send him some USDC and then he can figure out, or I'll send him some FRAX and then he can figure out what to do with it later, right? And then figure out like an off-ramp, which makes sense for him inside of his local area, uh, which from like an organic sense, just is a lot easier to deal with. Like if uh, these these payment channels that work at a bigger scale uh, for doing remittances or other things, I mean, they work really well. I mean, they're very regulated. They work really well. They have a high level of trust. And, you know, I know that if I, I'm going to go use Western Union to send money to Argentina, it's going to get there. But at the same time, uh, because of capital controls and other things, you, you may have limits or you may not be able to, spit, to send exactly what you want to send. Uh, and stablecoins make it available for anyone to do this. And that's, I think that's, I think that's the yeah. amazing thing about them. And speaking of Argentina, um, I know like not just you know, the stablecoin adoption rate there is like much higher than in other places. And I remember going down to ETH Rio and talking to a bunch of people from there and it's because they, they have to, <laughs> they have, they have to adapt because there's in, in America, you know, right now, like we're experiencing high inflation, 9.1%, but they're like, oh, that's cute. Like 9.1%, like we deal with this all the time. <laughs> and so like, it's a completely different situation. But that one, that leads me to uh, the next stablecoin I want to get into is Dai, which is a over collateralized stablecoin, and was the uh, first attempt to create like okay, like instead of having reserves off chain, what if we have all the reserves on chain to start off with? And you know, for viewers at home that are not sure how Dai works, basically you take a hundred, you know, for example, say you can take hundred fifty dollars worth of ETH. Let's say you don't want to sell it, but like you want to like go and buy more ETH or go want to pay your bills, like, and you use that $150 worth of ETH, create a, a vault, a CDP vault. And then from that, you can generate up to $100 worth of die. And with that, you can, you know, go do whatever you want. You just have to make sure you don't get liquidated. 
because that's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> um, but I think I thought, you know, die was a really not is and still is like a really novel attempt to be, to say like, okay, like what if we had, what if we could create money independent from the traditional banking system? Um, and what would a decentralized stablecoin would look like? And like what I like love and respect about makers, how they paved the way for all of DeFi, like a lot of the, you know, smart contracts we all like love and use on a daily basis today, the maker guys have to write that from scratch. Like there was no DeFi, like they literally had to write everything, even from like Oracle things to like, you know, different things here and there. Like they were true trailblazers and whatnot. And, um. You know, it's interesting seeing like how they evolve with like their governance from going from like DAO to foundation back to DAO and seeing everything they're trying to do with real world assets and whatnot. So what are your guys' thoughts on MakerDAO and DAI? Uh, I'll start first for this one. Um, I think it was a great initial design space for a stable coin that is fully on chain. And they, they really um, did what they could with the assets they had, right? And they first almost like introduced the idea that, hey, ETH could possibly be this store of value. Hey, ETH is not just what you pay for gas. You could actually mint other assets and it could actually back other assets. So it really changed the paradigm of ETH for, I think a lot of people, uh, myself included. Initially when I was using, you know, Ethereum back in 2017, I was like, wouldn't it be cooler if there was like some kind of middleware where right before I execute a transaction, it would just buy some ETH for me and then pay for the gas. And then I can just go off and do what I do. So never really hold ETH at all. So seeing Maker, you know, uh, facilitate ETH as a uh, CDP vault, I can mint against it. I think that really changed the paradigm for me. What do you think, Sam? Yeah. You know, it's interesting to see uh, DAI's evolution over the past couple of years, right? So from originally like single asset Ethereum only die mm -hmm. where, um, it was, it was very cool what they were doing, but at the same time, the, the peg was, had was really volatile for a stable coin. <laughs> yeah. And he, you go back and you look at those early charts of, of die and it was just all over the place. Right. Cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like in, in stressful times when people were like having to buy back die to pay back their loans, I mean, they, they could pay even like a 10 or 15% premium at times. It was really, really crazy. Uh, so with the, with the addition of, uh, multi-collateral die, which we have now, uh, you know, the peg's been able to be kept really tight. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's led to, uh, them kind of losing the majority share that they had of, of it being ETH and it being mostly USDC now. Um, and so, it, you know, it's accomplishing specific things and they have a really smart team over there. Uh, but it, it's, it seems like they've moved off into a different type of design space. Uh, yeah, are looking at different things now, and that's versus where they were. Yeah, that's especially true with the real world assets and their efforts they're trying to make there. Because once you go off chain, you're dealing with a whole different world with a whole different rules and a whole different regulations um, than if you're dealing with the world purely on chain with smart contracts. And you know, there, you know, we're still like early and like paving the way forward. And you know, there's it's going. I feel like real world assets is going to be figured out. It's just like a matter. of of how, um, and it's in, interesting seeing on the Frax forum, like all the different, you know, proposals for real world assets on there as well, but it's just like a matter. I know, I know, you know, Sam's philosophy is, you know, tr let's try to be, you know, a hundred percent on chain. Like everything has to like come, the chain is the base, like the real world assets have to come to us, like not the other way around. Um, 
So, yeah. you know, yeah, there's yeah, no like, the, yeah. I, I think that the, the, like the RWA stuff is really interesting because uh, it, it can allow for, I mean, there's just so much cool design space that's available for the RWAs and, and what they're able to do and how you fit stable coins in there. Uh, so just, just like think for example, let's say you have like some property, like a, you have a million dollars of, of real estate, right? So in, in that part, uh, let's say it's some commercial stuff and you're earning like 8% a year in the, in that one piece of real estate, you have like a collateral portion, which is the token, but then you also have like a yield portion as well too, uh, which can be represented through some sort of like uh, future asset or future yield that you're going to get from, from the rent that comes into that uh, asset. Uh, so like what you could do in DeFi is you could split off those two things. You could have the collateral backing, which could, you could borrow against, or somebody could, you know, give you a loan or you could do some interesting things with, but then in addition, you have this like yield at the same time as well, too, that maybe somebody wants to give you a, a, a loan for your future yield. Right. And so I think there's a lot of like things that Frax can explore with these RWAs that are coming in, you know, maybe they provide loans on the collateral. Maybe they just provide upfront uh, loans on the on the yield that's coming in. I, I don't know. I mean, th this is something that a, a lot of really smart people are building. Uh, Especially with Fraxland, Fraxland yeah. coming out soon. It'll be very interesting um, when custom term sheet agreements come out of there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm very excited to see how all this RWA stuff. I mean, it's like securitization is the next step for everything. Mm. Uh, so I, I guess this kind of leads into the next part of the the article where he really gets into um, kind of the meat of it, of of trying to understand if we're not dealing with over collateralized stable coins or just some sort of like wrapper for USDC, and we're, we're actually talking about what, what's needed for DeFi and needed for crypto, really we need to have a, a partially collateralized stable coin to succeed, Bobby writes, uh, which I, I, I think we all fully agree with. Um, you know, there's just something about, like this is something that Sam talks about is that the ability to have all of our reserves in on on chain and to understand them uh through through math allows us to find the uh i guess soundness of the entire protocol at all times right so by we can be partially collateralized because we see everything all the time uh, and if we didn't have that access then you have gaps and you have to start to price in that and then the peg break because people don't understand people aren't able to fish like efficiently and transparently price that risk. Yeah, what do you think, Kate? For me, I think partial collateralization is a slight misnomer. I was about to say that too. You know, it, it, it makes, it scares people more than it, you know, it, it doesn't do good for the or, base. Exactly. It doesn't do good for the base part. What, what exactly. do you mean partial collateralized? Yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> it's it's not. It's just collateralized by different things. So I, I would rather say instead of partial collateralization, I would say like diverse collateralization or something to, to, to that effect. Diverse, I like that. Because it is it's collateralized by the asset asset and it's collateralized by the cash flows, which is an asset. Right. Right. Yeah. And then the thing is, part where you could start becoming partial is, is the discount rate that you would apply for all future cash flows and what you would expect those cash flows to be like. So I really like what Bobby said here. Um, I, I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it's about the sustainable and the um, rather uh, sustainable and accurate and organic 
of revenue and cash flows rather than what we saw during kind of like the bull market of emission tokens left and right, right? You, you, you can't yeah. include another protocol's user acquisition marketing spend as your <laughs> outright cash flow. I guess it's silly. Yeah. No. So, but like you, like you were saying here, I mean, it, let's say you have, let's say you have an asset like Frax, right? And they're able to make 6% on their, on their, uh, assets. Uh, like how would you price that? What, what kind of collateral ratio would you give that then? If they can make 6% in, or in perpetuity, uh, there, there has to be some sort of discount rate that you can apply to it and come to a, an, an okay number that you're, that you're being very conservative with that you would be okay with holding this, this, uh, uh, dollar pegged asset. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, the great thing is, is that we can easily build models for this and, and come to a, a pretty, you know, uh, well thought out conclusions, uh, across the entire space. It's not like, it's not like trying to figure out a, uh, valuation metrics for like Bitcoin or like Ethereum or something like that, where it's much more yeah. vague and you're having to think about network effects and, you know, what this means for you know, all the apps that are running on it. No, no, this is a simple, we look at the balance sheet. We look at, uh, how much it's, how much is being lended out, like what the, uh, yield on the assets that we have already is, and then you can just plug it in and apply, you know, a typical D DCF models to it, uh, which, which makes it a, a really easy thing to take a look at and, and understand. Yeah. I'm excited about, you know, what AMOs that Frax will come out with in the future. I mean, you know, this this past like year and a half of development from V1 of Frax, which was just a simple ARB mincing and redeeming, you know, not really using the USCC collateral in any way. V2 of Frax, putting that collateral to work all across DeFi, you know, most notably Curve, Convex, but also, you know, you had some in Aave, you had some even in uh, Yearn. Um, and it really it showed like, oh, like this, what is possible with um, stable coins like on chain, it's like, yes, you can like do these activities on chain. And what's cool about, like, I, I, I like to describe to people that, you know, this Frax uses the protocols themselves to maintain its peg while, you know, when you over collateralize with maker or die, die, for example, like, let's say there was like a CDD CDP vault that took CRV tokens. And so you would over collateralize the CRV tokens in order to generate die. Meanwhile, with Frax but Frax doesn't set it, uses the curve protocol itself and, you know, you know, injects the, uh, USDC that's, you know, idle and also mints new Frax to create, you know, the three, three pool tokens that are back, you know, and that liquidity is back in Frax. And that is what's helping maintain its peg, um, primarily. So, and not only that, but like it gets like fees from the curve pool and also, you know, it gets, you know, uh, vote incentives. It gets all these different things. So it's, it's, it was a very interesting model and it was very forward thinking of Sam to, you know, spot curve and comics early on. And now you can see this, uh, I call it the confederation formed that has formed between curve convex and frax, um, with the recent frax BP passing, uh, eight different stable coins, um, now are going to be pegged with frax BP and also frax being whitelisted on CRV now in a sense, like all these protocols are like closer together. So what are your guys' thoughts on the AMOs and what are your guys' thoughts on Frax BP and how Curve, Convex, and Frax have gotten closer together? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting that, that what you were saying, it's like Frax's success is not dependent on uh, the collateral assets that it has. 
rather it's dependent on the protocols that it's that it's integrated with and i think that if if defi is if if you think defi is going to succeed then frax has to be a central core part of that like there's no other options right it's if if urine is going to do well if convex is going to do well if curve is going to do well and then not just you know these are the ones that we know about like what's what's coming next year what's coming 5 years in the future like if if frax can use its ability to create new amos uh mint frax and put it into these protocols so long as it doesn't affect the peg and and use it as a as a tool to gain a a huge foothold in these projects you know what what like how many other projects are we going to be able to influence and essentially take over in the future you know you think about like even things which don't even have a token right like you think about something like like uh lightning network or something like mm. that or like something where it's just just a huge amount of liquidity is needed to facilitate transactions back and forth and it just generates yield based on the payments like frax could frax could create a billion dollars and put it into lightning network if 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 that becomes the the kind of general way of making you know dollar based payments in in defi in the future right or if or if like starkware like any of these new networks that are coming any new defi protocol that's coming frax now has the ability to to just own it from day one and i think that is that is super powerful and it's just something that gets overlooked right the yeah it's in it we have the the brightest minds in the space making these new amos which you know we could make amos for anything literally anything and they're going to generate yield and that yield is going to go back to frax so if if crypto and DeFi is going to succeed then frax is going to be right there along with it yeah i mean it's just having frax as the central bank of DeFi and being able to, um, you know, enact monetary policy and basically mint currency is extremely powerful. I'm not sure if I would use the word own. I like the idea of like, of thinking of things in more of a positive some way, just like working together with protocols in an equal way. Um, and like, I think a lot, what a lot of protocols struggle with is uh, liquidity and currency and like Frax is there to bootstrap that. And then like the combination of like, whatever that protocol is doing not novel and better than everyone else combined with, you know, that initial in injection of liquidity and capital is, you know, really positive sum for all of DeFi. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it is more a zone. I mean, I, I was thinking more in the sense of like the, the ability of Frax to have like governance decisions. Right. But it's more, yeah. it's more about laying the foundation of, you know, like when you, when you look at, uh, how cities work, right. There's an electrical grid that provides power to everything. There's water that, you know, provides for sanitation and, and drinking water. And, and Frax is essentially going to be like that utility, like that base utility yeah. that, that every, every, everybody needs it. And, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to have a new business in DeFi and you're going to start up, okay, well, you got to have Frax. You got to integrate with baseball. You got to do all these things. You got to, you know, go apply to get a, a, a gauge spot on Kurt, on uh, Frax, like all these things are just going to be like the kind of the, the base, you know, what do I need? What's the first thing that I need to do to get into DeFi question for any protocol that's going to come in the future? Yeah. I, I, I have this idea of like, in like, I really like what Dave said that I think there's like maybe like pod number one or something. It was like, you have Tether, which services the central exchanges. You have USDC, which is the fiat off ramp. And then you have Frax, which is the go-to DeFi stablecoin. Yeah. And that's what, once you in DeFi, you use Frax, period. So as what Sam was saying is more of these protocols kind of come online, 
I see them almost operating like DAO MOs where they can actually go in and do some market operations. Like there will be a DAO that would run the curve AMO, for example, in the future, rather than Frax having to do that in-house. And there'll be DAOs that are just spun up just to manage AMOs for Frax. Yeah. Right. I, I could see that for new AMOs, like novel ones. I feel like one yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, already like, yeah. Like once yeah. already created, they're like, they're already like automating algorithmic. So like they're already like running as is. Uh, right, right. But, but like, I, was thinking, I see what I see what you're saying though. But but maybe even bro is like, what if they can compete against some of these AMOs, right? The the lending AMO, for example, right? Right now is only done with you know uh, Ave and 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 was I think fused previously too. But what if like another protocol can come in and underwrite risk even better than the lending AMO currently does, right? That's, awesome. like, that's the cool thing, and this yeah. is like the argument. This the argument like why. Frax over for, like so everybody makes the U Frax is just wrapped USDC, but I don't believe it, right? It's it's bigger than that because we have all these protocol integrations. Like what you're talking about, Kit, of uh, somebody be coming in and being able to underwrite better, they probably get added to the gauges. And so by by encouraging their users to use Frax over USDC, they're at, they can actually pay their users through the gauges of yeah. you know, hey, we're gonna yep. we're gonna incentivize you to, yep. to use Frax. As a protocol, we're going to make money th from that through the gauges, and then we're going to pass that on to you, our users. So you actually, you're actually getting paid, uh, uh, like a, you're getting paid to use a, a different stablecoin, which I think is something that will exist in per in perpetuity and is always going to provide a, a a better incentive for people to come and use Frax over something like USDC or, or Tether. You, you guys just made me think of something. So it's. Frax is not backed by USDC. Frax is backed by DeFi. Exactly. It's yeah. backed, backed by DeFi. Yeah. Like, oh, that's like DeFi. Correct. It is backed by DeFi. Yeah. Whether it's like, you know, because yeah. this, this thing, over time, these AMOs' revenue is going to account for a larger and larger and larger portion of the diverse collateralization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's, that thing is going to start like outpacing the uh, USDC that we have or all the hard assets that we have. And where are all these cash flow coming from? DeFi. DeFi. Yeah. Across yeah. DeFi. Yeah. So I, that's, that's the bull case. I yeah. And I mean, the, the Frax base pool, I mean, is obviously the, the, the big catalyst, right? So there, that's where the most, uh, liquidity is and liquidity is king. I mean, I like, like for the longest time, uh, and I always said that I was a liquidity maximalist and not a Bitcoin maximalist or ETH maximalist. Like, oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> liquidity is everything. Like, yep. it, it's the only thing that really matters when you're trying to get in and out of any. Asset. I mean, Sam, me and you both like had to, you worked on exchange. I used to deal with exchanges. We know like what happens when liquidity dries up, like markets just yeah. stop. Like yeah. liquidity is everything. And like, well, that's when I saw DeFi for the first time and two years ago and I saw Uniswap, I'm like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Like you can just like create liquidity like that for any, you know, coin, big, small, you know, blue chip, shit, coin, like anything can be, can have liquidity with like the right incentives. It's it made bootstrapping projects that much easier and it became less of a worry of, of projects building. It's like, oh no, we have to go, go get listed on a centralized exchange, like negotiate, pay a fee, like none of that, none of that. We can just like, oh, just like listed on, uh, Uniswap, SushiSwap, FraxSwap now. Like, it's really cool. Like I'm, it's yeah. like. It's really cool, like kind of that democracy, the egalitarianism of just liquidity that has developed. 
Yeah. And you know, what's cool about Frax is that there can never be a liquidity crisis with Frax. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I, like if, if, if you don't believe that Frax will, will never have a liquidity crisis after the, the biggest, <laughs> probably the, the biggest black swan event for stable coins, for algorithmic stable coins, like ever in crypto's existence. If, if you don't believe that after that much stress was put on Frax, that it will, will always be able to hold the peg into the future. I think you're just crazy. And it's, 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 it's shown that like Frax is, is battle tested. It can, you know, go through extreme periods of volatility and Frax is going to be fine. The, yeah. the, the peg will hold, the AMOs will make sure that there's always liquidity within the markets for anybody of any size to get out. Uh, and you know, like, like Sam said in that like famous, famous telegram, uh, message or quote that he had, it's like, it's mathematically impossible for Frax to depeg. Nobody yeah. can depeg Frax. Like the way, the way that they built the AMOs has, has just. They built it conservatively, honestly. Yeah. Built, and like, that's the problem in so many stable coins is like, they don't, they, they think too short term. And I think you're going to see this in our historical precedents that we're going to like go in, go into. <laughs> yeah, Dave's <laughs> teasing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, but to review, uh, you know, the necessary, what Bobby, you know, also, you know, ultimately concludes the necessary conditions for the success of an automated stable coin is a flexible collateralization ratio and a revenue driven, but a, you know, but price agnostic operations on chain. And so like those two things that, you know, do not have any bias whatsoever, but just views the market as is and not as like what it wants it to be and makes decisions on like what the collateralization ratio should be. And like that, that's how Frax basically works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like leading and leading into the historical precedent. I mean, the, the things that like in the Robert Sam's episode, Sam talked about like that all the reserves are on chain. Everything is transparent. There's no off market Frax that's being market made in the, in the sum of like billions of dollars about a, you know, a fund that we don't have uh, transparency into. We can see every single Frax that's in existence and we can see all the reserves that are backing all that Frax as well too. Unlike what we're going to get into next with Terra. Yeah. And I, I just want to, before we jump there, I think Frax is taking, you know, they're not putting the cart in front of the horse, like they're developing in a very organic and structural way. Right, like what David said about V1, which just a simple mint and a, a redeem, and then V2 kind of building up this massive. At one point, the curve AMO, I think, was like 1.7 billion. Yeah, it was like, like yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was insane. It was like, yeah, like that, that like AMO works at scale. Like yeah. that was what V2 proved. Yeah, and that was critical. And then, and then like, V3, um, I would say this is Frax making a play for, or completing the DeFi trinity of building its own native, um, you know, primitives, whether it's frac swap, which has this very specific purpose as a TWAM and also frac lend, which has a very specific okay. purpose as term sheet lending, but we can right. get into that another time. Let's get yep. into the historical precedent. Okay. Um, I, so I was initially when I looked at, at Luna and UST, like I, I thought it was kind of a sweet deal. Uh, to <laughs> yeah. be honest, like everybody else here, I was like, okay, so you have this thing that is a hundred percent backed by this other thing. And then when you're holding the, uh, moon dollars, you can put it into the moon bank and get 20%. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that seems too good to be true. And then the first time when they, the yield reserve was running out 
I was like, okay, the party's over. Now, I don't know where you see TFL come in and just top it off for like almost half a billion dollars. I was like, okay, I guess they can do that. So, yeah. You know, it, it was, it was a really interesting I, thing to, to observe. I remember in May of 2021 when it depends and it wasn't nearly as big. It was only like a few yeah. hundred million dollars and like, like 14 yeah. I'm just like, oh, they they, they covered their asses there. Cool. Um, and that it was interesting seeing, like, I think it's just inter interesting seeing like every stablecoin like have its time in the sun and they always just like, you know, the, what's the story of Icarus and they fly too close and then they just like mm -hmm. burn. And you just see that with like every, almost every stable coin for like, you know, they, they either, you know, the founder gets too cocky or, or like there's something wrong with the mechanic. They get too greedy. It's some like ancient Greek, you know, lesson like that's just repeated over and over again. <laughs> why these like stable coins fail. And with Terra, um, you know, it was just getting, it, it was insane. It was insane seeing that run up. Um, and then it was also insane, you know, seeing the four pool almost, you know, come to be as well, um, which, you know, before, you know, before that happened, you know, it was definitely like a big moment for algorithmic stable coins in general, it just like seeing them written about in the, before Terra blew up, seeing it written about in the New York times and in wall street journal and Bloomberg, like they were really having a moment like, oh, wow. Like, you know, this could like actually work out, which was cool. Like. But then like the whole like blow up happened and it felt like a nuclear bomb went off at my neighbor's house. Like that's how I felt that day. Um, where, where were you guys when, when terror, when, where, when, when like this whole terror fiasco, uh, went down, I was, I just got like back to LA. Um, and I was just like, could not stop watching my top Twitter timeline. And I'm just like, oh my God, is this thing going to end? Like, is it, it's going to save? And it was just like a roller coaster down. Yeah, I mean, like coming back to the the first DPEG, I, I, I mean, Dave, you can probably attest to this as well too. But like one thing that I remember Sam saying like over and over and over again is that the thing that matters most for any stablecoin is its ability to hold a peg in any market conditions. And mm -hmm. you know, this is something that like he made very very clear from the beginning is that like we're building fracks so that the peg, like it never depegs. Like we're never going to have a depegging event. It's always going to be one. If it goes to ninety eight it's or 97 or something it represents a failure of the system of, of the thing that we built and it goes back to faith and this goes back into the faith into the yeah. stable coin yeah yeah because like the first time something depegs like I, it puts that little seed of doubt in people that oh hey like maybe maybe it's not going to go back up to 100 maybe i should just sell everything that i have now and that that becomes a, a self-reinforcing uh determinant for how the for how the 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 stablecoin implodes which happened with, with terra and after the first depay i just pulled all of my money out of of uh, ust at that point i was like if if this is how they built it if they built a stablecoin that is supposed to depeg in these high volatility environments that's like the worst thing that you can build because you the the, the time that you need a stablecoin is in high volatility environments like you're you're swapping to stables when the market is crashing when it's when like shit's hitting the fan when it's like so bad that you need to get out of one asset into something that you believe is stable and if you're making something which is built to depeg by you know a lot or even to, in case of terror like even to zero or like in the first one it went like to down 14 cents i mean that doesn't work i mean that's not stability that there's no faith in that people just dump that that stable coin for something even safer so you know there's gotta like the, the faith is what keeps people from 
moving out, right? They'll move in, but then they, they won't move out. And so like, I, I, you know, I was never, you know, I, I went through like ESD, DSD, uh, like share token, which was kind of like, uh, uh, Luna, but not in L1. And so by the time I I'd, I'd seen every single one of these implode. And so by the time Luna came around, I was like, well, this is just another senior shares thing. It's going to blow up at some point. Robert Sam's is shaking. He's yeah. like, what's created? What thoughts did I create? It's like great dynamite or some shit. <laughs> like really useful. You're really powerful, but could be like used for like ultimate creation or ultimate destruction. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe the Terra team would have figured it out and you know, maybe it was just a low liquidity event on curve at the time where they just, yeah. Enough, enough well, I mean, what, what, yeah, what happened was they were moving liquidity from the three pool to the four pool. And yeah. I, I like to call this like the most well-executed conspiracy I've ever seen in my life <laughs> from like start to finish, because usually like, it's one thing to pull off a conspiracy. Like that's usually the easy part. The hard part is like, after it's done, like everyone just like, you know, still like realizing, okay, we gotta like tidy up and close shop, like make sure everything is like all our like, you know, uh, knots are like tied or edge, whatever. Um, like, well, I, I guess yeah. Dave, my question would be like, what would, what would have happened if, if Terra would have had their own uh, curve AMO, say they, you know, copied what Frax had done and was able to like put, make sure that there's like $5 billion worth of, of Terra. I mean, I think that Terra was like building to become more like Frax and that was pretty evident with their buying of, you know, Bitcoin as 15% collateral. And I think they were going to increase those numbers, whether it was in Bitcoin or some other assets, I believe they were trying to buy other L1s as well, like Avalanche. Um, and I think that, I think if Terra were still around, you would just see it, you know, become more and more like Frax. And I think you would see an AMO, um, pop up. I'm not sure if it would be as sound as the Frax AMO. I'm not sure how they would design it. Um, but, um, well, I think you would see an AMO, but I wanted to, I wanted to finish my point. Um, yeah, with like the whole Terra, like, you know, thing that, you know, deep pegging that happened, you know, it wasn't like that complicated of an, of an attack, quote unquote. It was just like, oh, like they pulled liquidity out, you know, somebody like deep pegged it and it was just like a domino effect. And then like every, you know, and then no one knows who did it. Like no one knows, like to this day, like people, there were rumors going around, like, oh, was it Citadel? Was it like someone else? This and that. But like nothing has been confirmed. Like usually like where conspiracies fuck up is when like, when it's over and like somebody can't like shut their mouth or like they don't know how to like close the deal. Like whether it's with Julius Caesar and the Ides of March, like all those, you know, uh, you know, Publius and whoever else they like messed up and they couldn't get the support of the people. Or even like modern day, you had like Peter Thiel and Gawker and like someone, I found out that it was like Peter Thiel that sued, sued Gawker and it didn't make Peter Thiel look very good. But like with Curve, they like actually like everyone kept their mouth shut and it was just like, as someone who like, you know, is was a political science major in college and like studies this shit, like very well done, very Machiavellian of whoever pulled that off. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they just, everybody, I mean, we see this now after everybody blew up, but everybody was just over leveraged. Everybody was like <laughs> incredibly over leveraged, incredibly over leveraged. I mean, there's, the, there's that famous tweet from Bobby. I mean, not, not, not Barry, Barry Silver in June of 2021. They, he's like, there's so much unchecked leverage in the system. And this was last year. And like people, I don't think people realized how much unchecked leverage there was until Luna blew up. And then you just see all like the cards fall from 3AC to Celsius to Voyager yeah. and whatnot. You know, the thing that really like 
hit it for me was when Mem built their uh, DJ box where they could like print Mem, put it into <laughs> the anchor and then rotate it back into Mem. And just, you could like yeah. leverage that like 10 X on yeah. their 20, on their 20% uh, thing. I was like, well, there is, there is definitely when this needs to unwind, it is not going to be pretty. And it, it, it wasn't it, like, it's called a DJ box. Literally. Go put your money in the DJ box. But like, honestly, if you're like a on-chain fund manager and you see that deal, like you're kind of obligated to take that. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I, I mean, like you, you should hedge yourself, of course, but you're obligated to take that. Yeah. Um, and then I, I want to highlight the third point on this list of Bobby's. I don't think we touched upon it's like the inorganic or not fundamental demand. What I, I feel is, you know, the same argument could be said against fracks, right? Nobody wants the old fracks except for yield farming purposes. But what I think I want to highlight is that although, you know, there are no organic demands to hold or transact in fracks, the fracks protocol itself owns a ton of the fracks versus, you know, for the TFL side. I don't think they control as large a percent of the supply as Frax does so that no matter what happens, the peg cannot break because Frax owns its own liquidity and its own, its own supply as well. Yeah. That, you know, peg is unbreakable because yeah. of that. It's like the Frax itself is speech trapping, you know, that's a man for Frax. Correct. In the Frax is demand like for Frax. Yeah. Right? For, and yeah. It's kind of like the Fed. It's literally the Fed like performing open market operations in real life. Like the Fed needs to like yeah. bootstrap the the U.S. economy so it will do yep. certain things within the economy to spur activity. And Frax is doing the same thing. It's like okay, first you need like a like a place with a bunch of liquidity. Um, boom, you have curve, and then it's like, and then everything can flow from there. In the future, you're going to see more use cases, like for sure. I mean, you already see small, like not small, but like different ones on chain. Like you know, the other day, like. I, I used perpetual protocol to do a short on ETH. Uh, and I was just like, I could do it in Frax. I'm just like, wait, what? I can use like Frax collateral. This is great. And so I did it. Um, and uh, I'd like to thank JPAL for, for helping me there. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the funny thing there is like, dude, the, the US government is like the largest users of US dollars, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, exactly. So you expect yeah. Frax to be the largest one users of Frax. Yeah. I mean, the thing to remember is that we're only 18 months into the Frax protocol mm -hmm. being like live yep. and it's, it's gone through a, a decollateralization event of over a billion and a half dollars going out. It's, it's held the peg the entire time. Uh, it's shown that it can harvest revenues from pretty much every single DeFi protocol in existence and bring it back to Frax as profits for, uh, VFX holders. And it's, it's just shown the, the. The strength of the model during the yeah. year is only been, it's it's 18 months 18 months it's and so short like like what are we going to be saying in 10 years when when of, of of development right like we're not even we're just barely touching the service like the core product of the amos has just been built i mean that that's that's like less than a year old and and everything else that about like using curve and integrating with convex i mean that that's like six to seven months eight months of 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 use so far like mm -hmm. There's, there's going to be more versions of convex. There's going to be more versions of curve on different platforms. Like I, the ability to, for Frax to, to get in and integrate with every single one of those systems, it yeah. generate like real organic yield, real it, yield. Yeah. Real yield. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the biggest thing that we have going for us. And you just think about like how much, like with the growth that we're having, you know, where are we going to be in 10 years?
you know, if we're at like a, a, a billion and something now, like, could I mean, we... I, I think in 10 years we talk, we, it's more about FPI than Frax. Ultimately, that's, <laughs> it's more about the Frax price index than Frax yeah. stablecoin. Um, well, I mean, but can, can, can Frax hit a hundred billion dollars of, can we hit a, you know, a trillion dollars of, of reserves in, in Frax in 10 years? Or like, I think a hundred billion is reasonable. Probably I think, a trillion. I think we hit a hundred billion in five years by next yeah. cycle. Yeah. 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 I mean, like DeFi, it's kind of crazy to think how small DeFi is right now, like how minuscule it is. And once like the proper on ramps and right, once the capital gets into DeFi and once, you know, organic yield opportunities, you know, are identified and, you know, taken advantage of, like, then you're just going to see, I wonder if you're going to see like more like hockey, more of like a hockey stick growth or more just like a gradual growth, kind of like how tech stocks were for the past 20 years. Yeah, that's a good question, actually, is like the, if, if we exist for 10 years and we're going to get to, you know, like $100 billion, does, does most of that 80 come in the last like two years or do we just grow? Um, yeah, uh, I think it depends I, on the use case, because like with the curve AMO, you saw like a hockey stick. So there might yeah. be some use case where, you know, boom, it goes from like 2 billion to 100 billion. But like, who's yeah, I, th I think it's I think it's just like payments. Like, I think it's going to be like lending and then also payments infrastructure yeah. as well, too. Like, and I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking of like all the cool stuff that can be created with like Fraxland. Like you can create your own Dijon box with Fraxland basically and like do your own like you know, winding up and, you know, yield experiments. Um, and also like having other projects and other protocols build yield strategies on top, utilizing Frax, identifying them on chain and utilizing the tools in the Frax toolbox, basically, whether it's Fraxland or Fraxswap to execute those strategies. You know, there's a huge design space there that is like yet to be taken advantage of. And I think sooner rather than later, you're gonna see protocols realize like, wait a second, like, you know, cu Curve is popping off, Convex is popping off what can we do with Frax? And they're the you know, currency liquidity, the currency layer of it all. Do you think that Frax moves towards like the Euro model where uh, anybody can come and build AMOs and deploy them as long as they've gotten like a, a code review and then the, the builder gets a portion of like all future revenues? Uh, for That's a great question. Um, yeah, I could see that happening. Um, I think it it depends on you would have to like develop like a process of creating an AMO. I want, I'm not sure how like Garen strategies work. Um, I'm not, the thing is like, I don't think there's like enough AMOs right now, like out there, but like, or they're just people are actually, then I'd take that back. There aren't enough people thinking about building AMOs because the opportunities are out there. It's just a matter of building them. Yeah. Um, and I think it will be a lot easier to create these strategies with Fraxline because like, I know making AM, building AMOs is a very intensive process, but like getting Frax unapproved is, is not, you can just like, I think, I think you're more, more likely to see like strategies built and approved than AMOs built and approved. Yeah. Yeah. You know, already like Frax has some of the smartest minds coming in and building on it and they're not even on the core team, right? You look at like yeah. the Fraxmas channel or you look at the, who's like Bobby, who's writing reports, like there's some really smart people who just gravitate towards towards yeah. Frax because they like it. They like the system and they see the okay. opportunity of. Uh, I'm looking at the, my two other co-hosts right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I definitely think for the, the bold case for Frax for me is like having debt, like all of DeFi's debt denominated in Frax. Absolutely. I think, I think that would be like 
the the best case scenario. Yeah. And Fraxland is definitely the step towards that. Um, but let's let's take a look at this iron finance. Thing. Uh, I have the, the funniest story with iron because like iron <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I, like go that. Ahead. I mean, iron is a four per frax. Um, which is V one V one frax. Not even, not even like V one frax. Yeah, and actually, like there was that very famous article by Mark Cuban in Forbes saying like I'm pool three. Iron die. I'm making so much money. Yeah. And then he just gets rugged and then like, like goes and complains like there needs to be regulation. But like a lot of people don't know this, but in 2019, um, Sam went to Mark Cuban to, for, and like pitched Frax to Mark Cuban in 2019. And Mark Cuban was like, what is this? I don't see this like ever like doing anything like what, what? And like, he didn't understand DeFi yet. Obviously he gets DeFi now. And like, I'm sure he would make a different decision, but it's just kind of like, ironic that he like passed on frax goes in with the fork and then gets <laughs> rugged by the fork yeah. rugged by the fork but you know i you know i still love and respect mark cuban but like man you can't just like go like complain for regulation after you get rugged like it's all part of the yeah. game man you know the thing about thing about iron is like it wasn't the first frax fork there was a lot of frax forks that came sure. before iron and you know what none of them worked like there, there's just there's, there's a couple of things about Frax that makes it what it is. First of all, like it's the, it's the base, right? Typically if like all the forks usually suck, they mm -hmm. usually fail. And then people just go back to the base. It's like the whole Bitcoin maximalist argument. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to get too much into that. But the second part is that like the, the thing that I saw, especially for V1, which no other of these, um, projects did that were, that were trying to copy Frax is like, none of them had locked liquidity. Like if you go back and look at it, uh, like none of their none of their liquidity was locked like all of the uh the titan token totally unlocked so as soon as it blew up everybody just pulled their liquidity it went to zero within like an hour and that was that was mostly the issue for all the other frax forks is that like by one, one of the things that frax was able to do really successfully was grow their lp pool of like four-year locked uh people of locking up frax and frax shares uh it just it, you look at you go you look at the the growth chart it's just a treadmill going up and up and up as, yeah. as time goes on. Like there was never a time, I don't. I think it's even growing now. Like there's never really been a time where people have stopped like either compounding their returns back into the Frax pool or just buying Frax and then adding it as Frax, Frax shares LP. Uh, and yeah. so like the, the, the fact that like no other projects really have this locked liquidity, I think it's a, I think it's detrimental to them. Like the mm -hmm. Frax yeah. is like uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of locked liquidity that's locked not just for like a month or two, but like for years, years and years. And it, I think that really matters at the end of the day for yeah. the project. And it shows how long-term aligned people are yeah. with the project. And yeah. a lot of them are locked for four years. Like I know I am personally. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, um, and also I was going to say like to build something like Frax is like DeFi is tough enough, you know, but like you get to stable coins and automated stable coins. You have to be a madman to build in that. Because success is binary. It's one, one to zero. Like you have to be more than a dev. You have to be an economist. You have to understand how monetary policy works. You have to understand how markets work. You have to, you have to have such like this peripheral view of not of like both economics and how like life on chain works. Like it takes like a certain type of person and certain type of team to build in that environment. Um, and Frax is like, has like proven itself over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. In like, 
it's it's interesting looking back on these projects now, especially I, I mean UST is really the the outlier because mm -hmm. like I didn't really think it was going to fail until it did. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could look at the model and say, oh hey, you know, depegged once, but doesn't mean it would do it again. Mm -hmm. uh, for something like Iron Finance, like it's it, it's just trying to be what Frax is, but it's not. Oh my. I remember there was like a whole trend of algo stables like that like month on Polygon. There was malt, yeah. And there was malt. Oh, no, malt was great. Malt is great. I I don't want to hear any malt slander. No, 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 no. Malt, I like. <laughs> I'm not slandering malt. It was like fun, honestly. I was just yeah. like, I was like, what is going on? What do you mean? I'm just like trading like straight up like malt for dye. Like people, <laughs> I think people were tired off of malt. I swear to God, but, but like I just like you know, I don't know. What happened like with I know malt isn't listed on here and malt isn't are they relaunched? Are they, are they relaunched? Yeah, there's yeah. malt v2. And they had some issues. I think there's gonna be malt v malt v3, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean I, I was one more rug. <laughs> I mean, yeah, granted that all, all these are rugs. I kind of like that everyone's just still experimenting. Um I, I think even though Frax is like kind of so far ahead and also have proven that it could scale up to like the, the billion dollar range. Like, I still like to see these experimentations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it pushes the space forward as much as it yeah. rugs us in the process. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. You know, they should encourage experimentation for sure. Yeah. And you you got a battle test. I mean, like, the yeah. you, can't, you can you and, know, think about, think about Senor Shares papers that, like, Robert made this paper in an academic setting where, you know, he could think in, like, you know, there's not going to be anybody trying to blow it up. <laughs> but in crypto, everybody's trying to extract yeah. the most amount of value uh, in a, the most competitive environment uh, from yeah. everybody else. And so that your design, your design principles have to be like ironclad or somebody's gonna, like somebody somewhere is going to figure out how to exploit something and make an insane amount of profits. And then everybody else is going to lose. Yeah. I say that we're all guinea pigs and beta users <laughs> in this. Like, I feel like every day. Even every time I like click something on chain, like I realize like how, like you just don't know, like what sometimes like what if like the front end gets hacked, sometimes you don't know if you're interacting with like the right contract. Like there's so many times, like so many people, like even people that are quote unquote experienced like, that like get their like wallets just nabbed. Yeah. We're all beta users. And like, I don't think this thing will get to mainstream adoption until, you know, that stuff gets figured out, um, you know. Yeah, it it's too adversarial. Like I can't touch it. Yeah, yeah. My mom trying to log in and be like, "Oh, nah, this is a phishing website. I recognize it because that's a capital I, not an L." Like <laughs> I don't ever see my mom being able to spot something like that, right? And and that's exactly what they do to you. So I I feel, you know, for this basis to really move forward, we we got to stop with the adversarial shit. But unfortunately, that's but that's just Moloch rearing dead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good thing is, is that like Frax has existed in the most adversarial environment with the, some of the most extreme volatility for 18 months now and has just functioned incredibly well. No DPEGs, yeah. everything is done really well. The, uh, no hacks, no loss of funds. Um, other protocols have lost Frax for us, yeah. but we haven't lost anybody's reserves yet. Yeah. And that's my family. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's yeah. the biggest takeaway is that like at the end of the day, Frax is is going to be the only one remaining. Uh in it's gotta survive, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And I guess we can go to the, the takeaways and what Bobby plans to go into in the future and what we plan to discuss in the future. Um and the two, you know, 
main conditions to judge a success of an automated stablecoin are its diverse collateralization and you know how it acts within a market and also how sustainable it is um with that like one part of the collateralization which is cash flow um that's how i view it what do you guys think yeah i fully agree yep agreed um i i just don't know how you do the underwriting of the cash flow though, right? You yeah. must choose a discount rate that is acceptable to the rates relative to like everything you're taking. And like sometimes people have like different like variables and yeah. assumptions and then like this and that. So it, you know, it's going to yeah, be yeah, what Bobby chooses to do in the future. Yeah. It, yeah. For like, yeah, not all revenue are created equal. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but how much of a, how much of a difference in, uh, variants are we talking about here? I mean, like looking at a, you know, looking at a, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what else to judge it by in the, in the same sense, because there really is no other product like this. Yeah. That, that... Well, it, well, just, just compared it to AMOs, right, Sam, like for the curb AMO that we get paid in three ways, right? The uh, curb AMO gets paid via CRB rewards, CVX rewards, and base fees. Um, so that's, those are the three revenue types. Right. But the CRV could get discounted differently from the CVX, which is differently discounted from the, um, base fee. And then versus say the lending AMO, where we're actually straight up getting interest payments. Yeah. Right. In, in frax. So like that right there is slightly different, uh, um, underwriting of risk, right? The discount rate for that revenue would be lower because we, I cannot wait for frax lend. I think that's going to be such a game changer. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that's the thing I'm most excited for. That and actually FPI, FPI, like one, I don't think, I think FPI is the most underrated, underappreciated, under, you know, not talked about <laughs> thing. So what you're saying is that you should go all in on FPIS. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying <laughs> I mean, as, as the concept itself, like it actually, I think it accomplishes Satoshi's dream of just what would, you know, a currency. You mean Satoshi's like? vision? So do I, I <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. No. Um, but no, I mean like really but really though, like you know, it's just like how can we create like a monetary system independent of government? How can we se separate money and state? And you know, with with blockchain and smart contracts, it gives us the tools to do that um in ways like not thought imaginable. And FPI, I think, you know, is a continuation of these efforts of like of of that. Exactly. First, it was like Bitcoin, but then it went, went from being digital cash to digital gold. And then you have like the ETH is money narrative, which is like, you know, I can like, I can understand parts of it, but you know, I, you can't have a volatile asset for like everyday things. And I would expect in the future for NFTs to be paid in stable coins, but we'll see. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but I think like something like FPI, where, where it's like you're hedging inflation is just, is brilliant. And then over time you can you know, create your own inflation index and, you know, create your own monetary policy that isn't just the CPI. You can, you know, base it off of like, oh, maybe we can take an Amazon API on that endpoint. Maybe we can take a cars.com API endpoint. You can basically construct your own inflation index and create your own currency that way. And you can get yeah. different regions. For, for me, I, I love FPI as a concept, but I think in execution is extremely difficult because how do yeah. you kind of guarantee a fixed like you're, you're guaranteeing a yield without having guaranteed yields. Yeah, no, it, it, I agree. It, it is a, it, it is a problem. It's an interesting problem to solve. Yeah. Um, but I think, but 
it's yeah. a lofty goal worth striving for as well. Like I said, I'm open for all experimentation, right? And keep on innovating. Um, yeah. And I, I, th I think what you guys are touching on is that like the, the, the thing that Frax has, which you can make the bull case over and over and over again, is like this giant toolbox of just awesome things that keeps getting at it. Like maybe FBI works out, maybe it doesn't. Maybe the, a well, I mean, the AMOs work, right? Already. Maybe Fraxlane works, maybe it doesn't. Like who knows? But the thing is, is like, the team just keeps on building and shipping and, and, you know, our, our toolbox of, of things that we can use to, to integrate with the market just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, so like whether FBI or any of the other ones actually are become the, the dominant prov pro, uh, provider of, of income, uh, you know, like yeah. five, 10 years down the road, we don't know that, but at least for now, we know that, that there's a. A, a suite of tools that we can try to figure out and figure out which one has product market fit. Yeah, I can see for FPI off the bat, like DAOs, you know, hedging their treasuries with FPI once you know, that's figured out. Um, but I agree. I'm sure like this is something Bobby should write should write about in the future. Yeah, I, and yeah. also I, I I think for um, the next one of these that we do these breakdowns, I think we should be more critical of fracks. I feel yeah. like we're very frax biased lately. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's yeah. I yeah. need to switch it up and and bring some spicy takes. I think uh, I, uh, I I guess Frax. I think for the first episode, it's okay to be bullish, a Frax bullish, bullish because this is establishing the framework, and I think we can all agree <laughs> that like Frax fits the framework well as is. But I think like in later episodes, as we like look into the details of like you know you know fully like, how is it like fully backed or like how does it account for revenue like there would be opportunities to be critical and not so, you know, shilly, shilly jilly. So, yes. Yeah. But I, I don't I, say so I disagree. I don't think the, I don't think the argument is like, is, is the peg going to hold. I don't think that's the argument. I think the argument is rather like, can Frax find product market fit in whatever space we're in, in DeFi, in real world assets and something else. Like, is, is, is it something that people are going to, keep on their balance sheets or like use for their treasuries or do like all the things that we talked about, like are other people going to use Frax? That's the, yeah. the main question. I guess like I my, my question for you guys is like, how do you think we can get more outside people excited about Frax? Cause if like Frax, I feel like right now it's like, if you're in it, if you're like deep in it, you're like super excited about it like us, but like to like, you know, everyday like DeFi users and crypto users, I, you know, see like a million different tokens shield on their timeline like fxs just looks like a, another token so it's just like how do you i guess like how do you attract like the right i feel like frax is doing it like slowly but surely um you know it's kind of like how it developed it, it evolved technologically with the development of amos it's doing the same thing with community with like the members that it's attracting and kind of the different activities that community members are undergoing whether it's creating dashboards or even creating podcasts and content like this um but like, I guess, like, how do you think like Frax can attract uh, more adoption and community members? Like, is it like the way brand is or this and that? Baseball, 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 baseball. And I'm going to be at like, like at, uh, at StableCon, I'm going to get up on the stage and do like Steve Ballmer, like baseball, 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 baseball. <laughs> baseball. We, we, we need to get all, all the stablecoin bowls cutouts for stablecoin. <laughs> yes. It's just happened on the stage. I mean, so funny. Um. Anyway, because because talking about it, like it's it's like incentives for people to pair their token against the baseball, like you know yep. you're you're paying it's triple down, triple down economics where you're paying people 
or the FRAX protocol is incentivizing uh, other protocols to pair against FRAX, which, you know, it, the sky's the limit when it comes there. And then, you know, by, by like, just by the base pool existing along with that other asset of some third-party protocol, now all their users are exposed to FRAX, whether they want to yep. or not. And they're going to have to trade with it somehow. And then maybe they just start holding it. And then it just grows from there. So like the base pool, base pool, base pool, base, 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 base pool. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think we start at the DAO level. Like Frax needs to own the DAO market. All the DAO to DAO kind of operations, like that is what Frax's fit is on. And then it should, like Sam say, trickle down to the community right. members of each of those DAOs. Because DAOs are sticky, man. Like once they kind of use your product or buy your token or whatever, like there's, there's a switching cost to them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we go yeah. after the DAOs before the consumers. Yeah. I think like, as like Frax of also as a protocol, like, you know how like Maker has different units, like I can see yeah. Frax having units, like, you know, like a DAO focused unit, unit focused on doing DAO BD, you know, a governance focused unit that can be like, oh, like this is how like Frax can prove like it's inner governance, this and that. Um, and, and so I can see like different units evolving as like the protocol evolves and gets bigger because as it scales like it's you know the the battle never ends there's always to be you know a new obstacle to overcome and to solve and so and that's why we're here and that's why we're building um and does anybody i guess to uh, conclude does anybody have any uh final thoughts i'm i'm very excited the fraximus community has been great that it's it's growing and like just from the people that we've had on on the different episodes over the past couple of times like it's it's really been like these are like big brain people coming no out. honestly i i can't keep up with them <laughs> like I, I try i'm just like they're really good at what they're doing i just want to get them all in like one group chat and one room and they can just like go off and spar against each other and i'll just like go and eat popcorn and watch <laughs> yeah I, I feel like on on the flywheel pod sometimes you know after dave and i ask our questions we will sit there for a good like 15 seconds just mulling over the answers and i just you know and we're just kind of waiting for us to ask the next question we're like wait wait hold on we're still digesting <laughs> it's very so, meaty very dense yeah uh, super but, dense yeah no i'm just super excited to just creating content pumping out content and you know i love how we started this like in like the quote-unquote beginning of the bear and the beginning of the great unwinding and i think like a big reason for that was when luna and terra collapsed like i didn't want to see like frax get wrapped into that narrative and like you know i have to give a shout out to raid right like really pushed me to say like yo like we got to take control of the narrative with frax and like this is how like flywheel came about and like really thankful for you guys to come along like could not have done this without you. Um, but Hell yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like and we'll, we'll keep it rolling. So um, thanks for everyone for tuning in. Um, so what should we call this? Like, should we call this Fraxcast? Should we call it Fraxcast? Fraxcast. Yeah. yeah. That was the original name for the podcast. Yeah. But, but like, <laughs> I think this is more fit Fraxcast. Yeah. I've always loved that name. So no complaints. Fraxcast. This is the first, <laughs> first episode of Fraxcast, you know in the books thanks everyone for watching uh don't forget to subscribe um to our youtube channel flywheels don't forget to follow us on twitter you know at flywheel pod telegram channel at flywheel pod you can follow me on twitter at defy dave 22 you can follow me at zero x capital underscore k and i'm 
at traders underscore inside. So thanks guys. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Peace.